May old acquaintance be forgot. We never sang, you guys. Hi, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you in 2023 with our first show of the year. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, thank you for listening over the past year and the past several months. Uh, we do appreciate it. The show is cooking. Uh, we've got lots ahead for you this year, as we have in other years, and we really appreciate you uh, tuning in and telling everyone all about the show. Warren, how are you? Happy New Year, Warren, our World Curling Hall of Famer, Warren Hansen. I'm just fine, Jim. Happy New Year to you as well. I wanted a little more excitement from you, Warren, about my Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> happy New Year, Jim. There we go, Warren. <laughs> and Kevin Martin, our other World Curling Hall of Famer, Olympic gold medalist and pundit, becoming one of the world's greatest interviewers. When you're not doing this show, you're doing commentary on the Grand Slams, and then you're doing a bunch of interviews. But you had some time off, Kev, and uh, we thought your backdrop was fake. Uh, we find out it isn't, and it looks like someone threw up a bunch of palm trees on your golf shirt there. Okay, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Happy New Year, Kev. You're down in Palm Springs. Really good of you to take some time out, Kevin, from your golf day to join us. Happy New Year to you as well. And uh, actually, the truth be known, um, inside, Kark and, and his wife, Brittany, and our grandson, Kayla, are inside. So it's kind of a, and Michaela's in there. So it's kind of a, a busy, busy place. So I, I, I actually snuck out to the deck to do the show this morning, all truth be known. Warren and I both say, whatever. Kev, okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah. Go yeah I have resolutions for both of you guys. Okay, Warren, you got to be a little nicer. Okay, uh, okay, you got the Grinch. Okay, and Kevin, you're going to resolve to have Warren and I down to Palm Springs to <laughs> christen your house and your and your golf course. So, any resolutions, boys? Do you have any? Well, Jim, you know when you've been on the plan as long as I have, uh, you kind of you are the way you are, and and that's it. I guess I guess you can take it or leave it. But you know, I did give it some thought, and I thought, you know what? One thing I'm going to try to do this year is when Jim doesn't follow the script, I'm not going to yell. <laughs> What's the over-under on that, Kev? Okay. What's the over-under? It's, it's already passed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, my fa it's my favorite expression of 2022. Just follow the script, Jim. <laughs> How about you, Martin? What do you got? You got a little resolution? Yeah, you know, your life is so grand. I can't think of anything. My golf game's not grand at all. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to really practice hard. And I did two days in a row, but I, I just have a horrible golf game. As, as, you know, people that have golf with me, Mike Harris lately just shakes his head. So, no, it's just one of those things. I'm going to try to improve my game. I'm going to try, but I don't know if it'll work. Boy, what a sacrifice for a resolution. Boy, that's really, yeah. <laughs> Welcome again, uh, everyone, to the show. This is actually show 13 of the curling season and our first one of the year. Uh, so that's great. We're off and rolling. We want to recognize all our sponsors who are stuck with us and are with us again, Sports Interaction, who brings you our What is Happening Around the Curling World segment. Nestle Boost brings you the mailbag, and we get a lot from you guys. We'd love to hear from you. Also, Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline, who brings you in the house. Here's what's on the show today. Uh, the last two weeks have been pretty quiet in the curling world, but we're going to chat about a couple of things. Uh, also, before the Christmas break, we talked about the breakup of Reed Carruthers and Jason Gunlitson, uh, and we're going to bring you up to date on that. And one of Canada's famous curlers was named as a recipient of the Order of Canada, and we will take a look at that. Uh, hot Rock Topics. We had a contact with curlers who have complained about wheelchair access 
for people at curling clubs. Uh, so we're going to weigh in on that. Mailbag, an interesting email will be looked at about how blank ends are impacting interest at the top level of curling. In the house, uh, we've just ended the 2022 and 2023 season. Smart move by Warren. How about a wrap-up? Okay, who can give us a wrap-up? From uh, Post Media, Ted Wyman, we've had him on before, and he's just excellent, and uh, he's going to give us his thoughts on all things curling that happened in the last year. What's happening around the curling world? Here we go. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. You've got to be 19 years old and in Ontario, and please play responsibly. So, as mentioned, the last couple of weeks, I've been pretty quiet on the curling front for events. However, here in Canada, a couple of things have happened. Before Christmas, we talked about the breakup of Reed Carruthers and Jason Gunnitson, and that Brad Jacobs would be playing with Carruthers in the final three slam events of the year. Wow, good grab there. But he won't be in the Briar playdowns. So there we have it, Brad Jacobs stirring up a little stuff, Kev. Bring us up to speed. Well, I don't know if Brad's doing the stirring, but there is there's uh, stuff being stirred uh, with Reed Crothers and Jason Gunnickson splitting up halfway through the season, which is kind of unusual, Jim. Usually teams will wait till the end of the season. But um, when talking to Reed, had a real nice talk with Reed, um, he just felt things weren't going the right way. And being a year um, right after the, the end of the quadrennial, of course, after the Olympics, this first year is kind of a feel-out year for new teams anyways. So Reed just thought it might be best to just make the change now and, and deal with it. And luckily, there was we talked about it last fall. There's this great big elephant in this curling room in Canada, Brad Jacobs, going to take the year off, um, recharge the batteries. He wasn't sure if he'd come back or not. Playing mixed doubles, of course, with Kerry Anderson. So, you know, great mixed doubles team, obviously. But here he is to play the last three slams with... Uh, with Reed Crothers after uh, the split mm-hmm. up. So interesting. Um, that'll be an interesting combination because Reed Crothers is a pretty laid back, kind of easygoing guy. Brad Jacobs, a very fiery individual, um, might make a terrific mm-hmm. combination, actually. Uh, opposites attract. Um, and, and they certainly are. And they're both brilliant players. So, so I look forward to that. But you mentioned something about the playdowns. Well, that's interesting, too, because Brad Jacobs is playing with uh, Jordan and Kyle Chandler. And... Uh, and Jamie Broad out of Northern Ontario. He's already committed to that team. So he's playing in the playdowns, but out of Northern Ontario. So this team could have had Brad Jacobs play because Reed Crothers and uh, Connor Negevin and uh, Samogolski, Derek Samogolski, are all out of Winnipeg. They could bring in an import. And that would have been just fine, but Brad had already, and he's a first-class guy, Brad Jacobs. Um, He had already committed to to another team and not going to walk away from that. So, okay, now that's step one more step down the road. Now what does Reed do? So, yes, you've got a great team going into the last three slams and and, and any tour events you're going to play in. Great. Playdowns, though. Now what do you do? Because the top players in Manitoba, and in, indeed in Canada, are likely already on teams. So, if that being the case, who does Reed pick up? Does Reed do a Brad Guju slash Nicodine-type scenario and play with just three mm-hmm. or does he actually pick up a player for playdowns interesting thing to discuss because for for reed you've got a you know terrific three players on the team nobody would question that so you enter playdowns with those three what are your odds of winning 
if you pick up a player from outside somewhere, some other province or, or, or inside of Manitoba, who's, say, ranked outside the top 100, because pretty much everybody else is already curling, does that lessen your chances more by having a fourth player that's not quite at that level? Mm-hmm. Or do you just play with three? And then Warren, of course, are you allowed to just play with three? So, you know, there's lots to it. Jimmy, it's really exciting. I think it's really fun to watch. You know, I, I get along really well with Brad Jacobs. It's going to be nice to see him back on the ice in uh, four-person curling. Give me the simple breakdown of this. Brad Jacobs is going to curl for who right now? So Brad took the year off, maybe even more than that. He had said to me he might not even play again, but he played mixed doubles with Kerry Anderson. So he wasn't going to play. You had Jason Gunlickson and Reed Crothers who started the year together and did pretty darn good. They, they won the points bet at the start of the year. Ended up not happy with the way things are going, split up. So now Reed Crothers only has three players. He brings Brad Jacobs in to either, now who knows if, who's going to skip that team, but whatever right. they decide, and that'll be the new team of Reed Crothers with Brad Jacobs, with uh, Sam Agolsky and, and Negevin. Out of Manitoba. Out of Manitoba. There's already three players out of Manitoba, but that, this is not for playdowns, Jimmy. This is for the Grand Slams and, and other events. Okay. And no Briar. For Brad, no matter what. Oh, yes, out of Northern Ontario. He's already said yes to with the Chandlers and, and Jamie Broad. Uh, Warren, one of Canada's famous curlers, was named to receive the Order of Canada this week. Tell us first about the Order of Canada, Warren, and uh, who was that lucky curler? Or deserving curler, I should say. Yes, Jim. So, since its inception in 1967, the Order of Canada has been awarded to about 7,600 people from all sectors of society in Canada. It's an award presented by the Government of Canada. Contributions to the recipients have varied, but they have all enriched the lives of others and made a difference to Canada. So I think we're pleased to announce that Colleen Jones has been named as a recipient of the Order of Canada for 2022, along with, I believe, 19 eight other Canadians for this coming year. So our congratulations go out to Colleen. A fantastic record in curling and in broadcasting. Huge contributions in both areas through CBC uh, as a newscaster and a curling uh, broadcaster. She's a six-time Scottish champ. She's played in 21 Scotties, which is, without question, a record. Two-time world champion, two-time Canadian mixed champion, and a Canadian seniors champion. So what a resume, along with other things. She's the youngest skip to ever win the Scotties back in 1982 when she was 22 years old. That's never been equaled, and that was the first time that Scott Paper then was the sponsor of the Scotties. She's in the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame and the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame. So again, congratulations to Colleen. There are other curlers have been recipients of the Order of Canada. I will state right now, I may not have all of them, but the ones I'm aware of are Marilyn Marilyn Bodo, Don Duguid, Russ Howard, Ernie Richardson, Ron Northcott, and Matt Baldwin. And there could be a couple more, but... uh, Hard to find out exactly all the names, but for sure those ones I've mentioned are recipients. Warren, they're missing a name. Jim Jerome? Nope. Do you want me to put a word in, Kev? <laughs> I was wondering who you're going to say. <laughs> you know, Friday nights, me and my buddies used to try and break into the Governor General's house when I lived in Ottawa, so maybe I can try. We know the back door. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of an interesting award. Jim and I will have to put Kevin's name in because uh, it's very much of who I believe submits uh, what for whom, so... Maybe we need to make a list of people from the curling world because there's there's probably a few more that have got outstanding accomplishments. I mean, Kevin and and Jennifer Jones, without question, being named the greatest of all time in both men's and women's back a couple of years ago, I think, are worthy people for consideration. More important, though, Jimmy, a big congratulations to Colleen. 
Absolutely. Uh, did she do all that, Warren? Uh, she's from the Maritimes, right? Nova Scotia, Halifax, yep. So all that winning was representing Nova Scotia? Yes, every win. Outstanding performance by Colleen. And the people that's played with her over the years, I had the great honor of being inducted into the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame in 2015. Mm -hmm. And the other three people who were inducted along with me were members of Colleen's team that uh, won, I believe, five Canadian championships with her. So great curler and a great team from Nova Scotia over the years. And Warren, ironically, she did all that 20, 22 years or plus years that she did it in a year now where teams are changing every couple of hours. Yeah. Right? We'll, we'll get rid of a guy. Another interesting stat for Colleen, she's probably the only curler that's still throwing rocks that actually played in the McDonald Lassie. And she played in the McDonald, the last McDonald Lassie in Montreal in 1979. Colleen was playing second. She was 19 years old, I believe. So <laughs> she's, uh, she's covered the gamut. There you go. That's what's happening around the curling world. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. Uh, we got a lot from curlers across the country about various problems they are facing. And we have had a lot of uh, complaints about clubs providing wheelchair access. Wow. It seems you're way behind if you don't have wheelchair access. Chris Bowden in London, Ontario, who is a wheelchair curling coach, and he relayed the concerns and problems he faces in attempting to get curling clubs in Canada more wheelchair accessible, which means access to the building, the washrooms, lounge, etc. So Chris feels that clubs need to be do a better job of researching the access for funds to make this happen, but feels they simply are not doing it. Uh, Warren, you've talked to Chris about this. Yes, I've had a couple of exchanges uh, with Chris, and uh, his point to me was, don't blame the curling associations. It's the clubs that need to be dealing with this. But I, I believe, again, these provincial associations are the one that need to spearhead this whole initiative. And I think do the lobbying again to the provincial governments and the municipalities involved to make sure that this type of thing is taking place and it's happening. And a single voice in the wilderness, I guess the curling club, there's probably grants available. They're busy. They kind of don't get to it. They know they should get to it. But I think it needs to be an initiative taken on by the provincial bodies who are the ones that can do the lobby and can get the governments involved with the resources that are required to make it happen. I thought it was the law that you had to have wheelchair ramps going into your facility. Maybe I'm wrong. It's certainly important though, Jim. It's, it's very important. For to, sure. Uh, to be able yeah, to get everybody sure. into the building and and not just in the building, you guys, not just into the building and then upstairs into the, into the viewing area and lounge, but... Mm -hmm from the lobby to the ice. A lot of times it's two or three steps down. These are all important things to, to worry about in, in a recreational facility. Chris Bowden, way to go on leading the charge for this. And uh, obviously there needs to be some changes. Thank you very much. That was our Hot Rock Topics. Mailbag brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. We get a lot of interesting emails. And here's one from 18-year-old Kaylin Rutledge that reads as follows. Hey, guys. I'm 18 and know that curling is trying to make the sport more appealing to the younger audience by making games closer in score and more interesting. I've noticed that with the three, four, five rock rule, there have been more blanks. Is there a way they can prevent blank ends from happening so frequently? It would really keep the younger people interested if there was more action. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast, particularly Jim. Uh, thank you, Kaylin, for your comments. We've uh, we've talked about this before, Kev. Interesting, though, because one of the things Warren has always said 
if you don't get young curlers in here, you're always going to be in trouble with any sport. Uh, and there we hear from a young curler. Yeah, and, and blank ends. Sometimes, sometimes it can be because the second and the thirds blast a lot of, of stones out, which is really exciting to to watch. Um, I'm not sure there's more blank ends with the you know three rock, three rock, four rock, five rock, whatever you want to say. Because um, we you know back in the day when we were playing uh, in various events, Briars. Um, I remember getting a deuce on Jeff Stoughton in the '91 Briar, and we threw the rock through in the second. Because uh, they just peel, 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 peel the whole game away. The game ended up three to one. I think, I don't know, it must have been eight ends blanked um, out of the 10. So it used to be more blank ends than it is today, um, for sure. But there still are a lot, and sometimes there can be quite a few. Um, most of the slam games we commentate, there are the odd, slam, the odd blank end, but for the most part, there are rocks in play. Um, because with only eight ends, there's not a lot of time to waste. Whereas a 10 end game, you might burn up the first couple three because it doesn't matter. But in an eight end game, boy, you've, you've really got to get the guards in play in a hurry for the, for the most part. Um, and then, of course, mixed doubles, there's always lots of rocks in play. And uh, in triples um, with the scoring system, generally there's a lot of rocks in play. So, uh, but in four person curling, yeah, Kalen, I think you're right. It'd be nice to see less, would well, be nice to see almost zero, actually, at the end of the day. But I'm not sure if you want to take blank ends completely out of the possibility because in the odd ends, be it in in a five or seven, a lot of times you want to have that hammer in the even ends. So it's up to the other team to throw the double centers, right? Because you'll take a you'll take a blank if it's available. Well curling's a unique sport, right? It varies who gets the last rock, right? And it's not like baseball, right? We got the bottom of the inning the whole time. So we're gonna be fine. Anyway, good one. Good one. Uh Warren, any comment? I have a lot of comments, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess, Kevin, first of all, I think, uh, and it was a little difficult in the wording of what Kaylin said uh, when she referred th- three, four, five rock rules. I, and I, I took the same interpretation of it as you did when I first read it. But I think what she was getting at is that uh, we've tried the three rock rule, the four rock rule, and the five rock rule to try to eliminate blank ends, and it doesn't seem to have helped a lot. I think it's a really interesting topic, and, and I, I think one that needed, probably needs more research, more testing, more experimenting. I would suggest back when we started the original Players Association in, in the 70s, the Association of Competitive Curlers, we kind of started the Super Leagues was that whole initial concept. We also had an event that was involving uh, the four Western provinces that was held, I think, three times. There was three teams from each province, but we played some special rules. And the two rules that were used, the one was if you blanked an end, you lost the hammer. And the other one was if you were able to put a rock uh, on any portion of the button, uh, it was worth two points. And that created a whole pile of interesting results. And I'm saying it had to be on the button. In these days, it's covering the pin. Back in those days, uh, to get a rock that was biting the button was just about as uh, difficult as touching the pin is today. Those were interesting experiments, and I look back and I, I can remember being in a discussion with the Canadian Curling Association at that point in time, maybe about 1979, have talked about considering the uh, incorporation of both those rules into to Breyer play. Uh, obviously, it never happened. I don't think uh, it was uh, experimented with deep enough, but I think this whole issue of blank ends is one that... Uh, Maybe needs to be looked at, more discussion. Maybe if you blank one end, you can't blank two in a row. 
to Kevin's point today, it's not a big issue, except when you get down to those latter ends, all the jockeying that goes on to try and maintain that last rock advantage in the final end can result in uh, a couple of ends back-to-back being blanked. And man, today, if a team decides they're going to blank an end, it's pretty tough to stop them. What do you do, Warren and Kevin, if they accidentally blank an end, though? So you're, you're red, you got the hammer, and there's two yellow rocks in there, and you throw a, you know, a takeout double, and, they, and then your rock rolls out. Now I get crushed. That's your fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> Holy man. Anyway, I, I think it's a good point, and I think it needs some, some further chat. What do you think, Kevin? Do you think uh, this is something you should be talked about more or looked at, experimented with, or maybe experimented with? Uh, experimenting in our, with our with our great game is always good with with every sport. Sometimes when you try new things, that you after a while you go, "Wow, okay, that didn't work. That was a bad idea. Cancel that." But other times, you know, you you work on different uh, different rule changes or ideas, and you go, "Wow, we're onto something here." So, no, uh, Warren, I think it's great to experiment and and to try new things, but. Our game right now is pretty exciting. At the at the Grand Slams, it's, there's not many games where it's blank, blank, blank. It's just, you know, uh, like I say, 10 in games, it makes, I see nothing wrong with blank in the first two or three in a 10 in game. Yeah. Because you're, you know, it's, it's tons of ends. But an eight in game, woohoo. You, like, you don't want to, if you don't have hammer to start the game, if by chance there's a blank in the first, you, you better throw that guard in the second one and maybe even to something like a Brad Gushu would do right away, and that's early in the game. Throw up the double centers. Force that team to make some shots and score so you get that hammer back. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We have a little edit break once in a while, folks. And, uh, well, if you want to know what goes on during those, everyone just freaking laughs at me all the time. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) continuing on with our show, and one of our favorite parts uh, is in the house, of course. And Warren and I were hoping that uh, maybe someone in a lawnmower, one of those ground screw, ran over Kevin's foot. Okay, that would be nice (laughs) to get rid of him. (laughs) In the house is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling Equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. From Post Media, we told you he wants in. That's a lot of... It's a fast knock, and Ted Wyman joins us from Post Media. Happy New Year, Ted. How are you, man? I am very well. I am wishing I was somewhere really warm, like one of the people on this video. Instead, yeah. I'm in Winnipeg, where it's not that crazy cold, but uh, as you know, it can be kind of a long and difficult winter. Yeah. And it's a good thing we have things like curling to keep us occupied, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and the Jets are doing well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a better winter for all of you. So, Ted, first of all, what's the big story? There's been some, obviously, over the last... Hmm, 12 months or so, I mean, so many teams have changed. What's the biggest story? Well, if you're talking about a meet currently, you know, I think the the new uh, look of uh, Reed Carruthers bringing on Brad Jacobs and, uh, you know, for the rest of the Grand Slam season is obviously kind of the hottest story in curling right now. I wrote about it last week, and boy, did people ever have a lot of interest in that one. 
But if you're talking about the whole year, I mean, uh, you know, I can't, I can't think of anything in my mind that was a bigger story in curling than uh, Brad Gushu and his teammates winning that briar with three players. I mean, that was just something that uh, I'm not as into the professional curling scene as many of you guys are, but that just seemed impressive to me. That was a really big moment in curling for this, uh, for this country and for, you know, for the game itself to see that something like that could be pulled off. And, you know, and then, of course, as you said, we had that amazing number of teams retooling. And uh, that is, honestly, as a journalist, it's a dream. I mean, it's incredible how much people eat that up. It's the great soap opera of the game. <laughs> and what about this new sort of World Federation deal with Nicodine and the boys all getting together? Warren always scolded me and said, Jim, it's not competition for the rest of the curling world. What's your take on that organization? Well, I think it's uh, really interesting because it's been talked about so many times for so long uh, within this country about really establishing a strong players association and trying to get something going that will, you know, really create that buffer or that, uh, that negotiation zone between the players themselves and the organizations, the people who run the tournaments, the people who provide the money for the tournaments, the schedulers, Curling Canada, everybody. And it has never seemed to really get off the ground in a really meaningful way, at least not recently. Certainly, Kevin, when when uh, there was the, the Briar break-off and everything years ago, that certainly was a very strong move by the players, and we did see that. But lately, it hasn't been as much that way, and there's been a lot of talk about it. So it's really interesting to see that something has come together that it's going to incorporate curlers around the world. And really, I talked to a few people. I talked to Emma Miskew, who's involved in the Players Association, and she just said it's it's important for us to have more of a voice. You know, we really need more of a voice in what's going on. And I asked her if there's one thing that really made her think that, and she said it's when the World Curling Federation, Federation comes out and says, we want to make a rule change. We want to do away with extra ends. We want it to just be a draw to the button. And the curlers hated that. If you, you know, I talked to people immediately when that first became, you know, knowledge that they were looking at that. And, and it was absolutely despised by people, especially in this country. You know, she pointed to that and said, we want to be able to be in those discussions more before they happen. So in a lot of ways, the idea from what I see it is that if you've got the major powers in curling being World Curling Federation, Curling Canada and Sportsnet with the Grand Slams, then, you know, maybe a Players Association becomes the fourth major power. I think it's a long way before they get to that point where they are that fourth major power, but that's the goal. And um, I think that would be really good for the game because it is apparent to me that the curlers really don't feel like they have enough of a voice right now. Right. Uh, interesting you said it might, it might take a few years. So is WCF saying, uh, we're not going to acquiesce here to any of your stuff, so just stand down? Right. Uh, well, I mean, I, I can't honestly say that. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do about it. Um, it. To me, it sounds like the whole idea is for it to be, um, you know, not adversarial, certainly at this point. It's to work together to try to make things work better uh, in, for all parties involved. And the fact is, there's a lot of money in curling, uh, the, the you know, for the organizations that run them. Um, and if they if there wasn't, then they wouldn't be putting on as many events as they do, and they wouldn't have these 
big tours and they wouldn't have these giant events around the world with the World Curling Federation. And, you know, I, I'm not even saying, it doesn't even sound to me like the goal for the players is to have a piece of that pie so much as it is to just have a say in how things are done. I mean, when you've got somebody else making the schedule for all of these big events that you have and you end up talking to guys, you know, I talked to Brad Jacobs, as I said, mm -hmm. after the announcement was made about joining the Reed Carruthers team. And he said, you know, that, that it's just an absolute grind. And it's no wonder guys want to take some time off, especially after an Olympic quadrennial wraps up, because it's just such a grind and you get so tired and there's so much travel and there's so many events back to back, week to week. Um, and yeah, so I think that curlers would like to have a say a little bit more in what the scheduling is for these things as well. Uh, you talked about bringing them together. Uh, there was a day when Warren uh, got a phone call from Kevin Martin saying, we're breaking away. <laughs> uh, I chuckle. They don't. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's a good comment because it was at a point where I think all of us had tried desperately to, to make some of the adjustments that were required moving forward. And it, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't happening and it, it wasn't uh, even being something on the horizon. So, uh, I think they were at the point where they had to do something. And I think I, I find it interesting, one of the issues on the table, I'm going to write a story about here in a week or so, is the ath athlete cresting issue with the Briar, which supposedly was resolved in 2005, but kind of slid under the radar when the Tim Hortons contract was renewed in 2008. And we sit here today, still hasn't been resolved. So I think it's things of that nature that uh, have to be dealt with. And, and if they aren't dealt with in a reasonable manner, then there, there's going to be other things that'll happen. I think you brought up a great point, though, Ted, with uh, the involvement of the entire world. Um, back when we started the PA in 2000, and, well, really 1998-99, um, it was mostly a Canadian entity. And, of course, then the World Curling Federation can't really endorse it because it's mostly just a Canadian thing. Um, it became quite strong, you're right, but not worldwide. And that's where I think this group has really got a good grasp on, on making sure their board includes everyone on both sides, both uh, female and male, but then also uh, the various continents that are strong. So that, that's a really good point <clears throat> with the potential of, of growing such an association. you got to have the international influence. I think the other important thing, Kevin, that they have done is they're trying to involve the younger players. They're making sure Gen Z is in there and young millennials. And I think that's extremely important because those are the people that will benefit. And uh, I think in the attempt that you guys had back in 2001, you didn't have uh, many or any of the younger guys associated with it. So I think that's another important thing they've done. What do you say to all that, Ted? Well, I mean, I think you, you know, I think I've kind of gone over that a bit in that it is very clear to me that there's not enough communication between those large scale groups that are running the biggest events in the world and in Canada and the players themselves. And the players just don't feel like they... Are, they, they feel blindsided sometimes. And I mean, I, I've talked to lots of people about this. And, and, it, and, you know, I go back to what Emma said about that rule change. When the World for, for Curling Federation came out, I think it was maybe September of 2021, about there when they came out and said that they wanted to propose these rules and that they were going to be used on a trial basis. And it included the tick rule or the no tick rule, I guess. And then it included this idea of, of going to no extra ends. And you know, I called people right away and some of them hadn't even heard it yet. I was the one that broke it to them and it was just, 
this just makes no sense. You know, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You're saying, well, how, and, and, and to a man or woman who I talked to, they would say, well, we wish we'd have been consulted on this. Now, the World Curling Federation's answer to that is, and the Curling Canada as well, the answer to that is that there are curlers on the competition committee, that there there is an athletes commission, and that they do have a voice in this situation. But the average curler, and I mean, I'm talking about the average elite curler, I'm talking about people who um, you see every week on your TV here in Canada, and who are the top players, and the reason why this is also successful uh, because, you know, they're they're the draw. They're the ones that are saying that they didn't feel like they had any say in what was, you know, how the future of the game was being shaped. And as you guys know from having these discussions, maybe the last time I was on this show or sometime last year, you know, there's a lot of curlers that really would like more of a say in how the Briar is, uh, the Briar and Scotties are operated and, and, and whatnot, you know, like they felt like, they weren't having a voice in that either, and that that it wasn't really working to the to the best uh, ability of of creating Canada's best team to send to events like the Worlds and the Olympics, and that we needed to do things differently to keep up with the rest of the countries in the world. And um, those athletes that I talked to at those times expressed a lot of frustration. So hopefully, for their sake, the Players Association gives them that opportunity to now come forward, give their opinions more, talk to the people who are involved in that executive, have that relayed to the powers that be in curling, and maybe within a couple of years now, create a situation where they really do have more of a voice, there's more communication, and they can be part of that planning of the future of the game. Anytime you've got a, a, a players' council, Ted, where it's sort of they're hand-picked and not voted in by the players, you've got, you've got trouble. You know, and it's not even the the person I'm talking about that's there. It's the the mechanism of getting them in there that, of course, the other players don't like. Ted, I want to uh, go through some of the top teams here. I'd love to get your thoughts because at the start of the year on on these shows, we're talking about this is going to be a real exciting year. We've got all these new teams, and we don't know how they're going to go. So we're talking about the Camrose Slam, and it's right after the new year. And this is a time when maybe we're seeing some of the teams either flourish or or the or the boat is sinking, and you just don't know which it's going to be and, and or or why it's just it's just naturally how it would happen on a new team. Some of the top teams let's talk about team Holman because uh, that's an interesting combination, and your thoughts on on their successes so far well, they've certainly been a strong team. it seems like that situation of having um, Rachel and Tracy co-managing the team or however it works. I mean, obviously Tracy's calling the game and Rachel's throwing those last rocks. And I mean, that's really been a, an interesting combination for them. You know, I think they're right at the top, right? They're, they've been the really the top women's team so far, right up there with Carrie Anderson. I'm not sure that you would have expected that right off the bat. I mean, it did seem a little different. You have Emma Miskew, uh, playing second for the first time since she can even remember. Obviously, she's been Rachel's vice skip for an incredibly long time. So it really is a big departure for that team. It's a big change. But, you know, you've added a really talented player in Tracy Fleury. There's no doubt about it. So I find that one really interesting. And the fact that they're right near the top, you know, is is pretty impressive. And I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with all season, as they usually are. It's just, 
you know, the, the, the one thing is I've always found funny from, in my mind about Rachel Holman and all of their, you know, her and Emma especially, is they're only in their early 30s. You know, they're not, <laughs> they've been around for so long, you almost think like that they're veterans who might be, you know, winding down their careers because they've been at this for so long. Well, the fact is they've got, in, especially in curling terms, you know, where you've got Jennifer Jones still skipping at a very high level in her late 40s. They're, you know, they're just barely into the prime of their careers. So, you know, there's just so much that can happen with that Rachel Holman team uh, going forward here. You know, Rachel herself has obviously had some difficult times. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, losing three Scotties finals is, in a row has got to be a really tough thing to deal with. Uh Going to the Olympics in 2018 and not winning a medal is a very tough thing to deal with. And then having struggles at, in the mixed doubles at the Olympics last year on a hand-picked team, that's, that's really hard to deal with. And she expressed that kind of frustration in a personal note to, to people on social media after the Olympics about just how difficult that was. So, you know, really, I think, you know, I think a lot of people would, are happy to see that there's a chance here for a bounce back, that there's some new life into that team with Tracy Flurry and that they're flourishing so far. So I think they're really a, a big team to watch as we go into the, you know, the big season of playdowns and, and Scotties and Briars and all those kind of things. Well, I'll tell you what, Ted, you couldn't have segue that better because the next team I wanted to talk about is somebody who lost three Briar finals in a, in a row in Team Botcher. I want to ask you about, about that team because, you know, that was viewed as maybe the top team in the world when they got together. And it's just been kind of messy <laughs> well messy they're, they're you know they're still uh maybe things sometimes take a while to gel i mean you can look at that on paper kevin there's no doubt and you can say that easily could be the best team in the world there's just no doubt about it with mark kennedy with brett galant and ben hebert backing up brandon botcher who is obviously an extremely good skip so things don't always gel immediately and i'm going to look back to carrie anderson's first season with her dream team and they did not really gel particularly well right off the bat. They uh, got to the Scotties as a wild card. They didn't win it. Uh, they didn't win that game. And then it was looking like a pretty big disappointment. Obviously, you're not going to say it was a bust because it was far too soon to say that. But it was looking like a bit of a disappointment. Fast forward to now, they've won three Scotties in a row. And they are clearly Canada's top team. And they are one team that has stayed together and uh, is working with continuity as opposed to the big blow-up format that's been going on with a lot of others. So, you know, I think that could be, uh, you know, obviously I think that situation for Brendan Botcher's team is the, the opposite. They've really blown things up. They've gone with a lot of different things. And it's going to take a little bit of time here, I would say, for them to gel and become that great team. And, I mean, yeah, I agree with Kevin when he says, that they're one of the, on paper, one of the very best teams in the world. But I think you're going to have to beat some teams before you're going to convince me that it's not Nicholas Adin's team or Brad Gushu's team that is the very best in the world. They look great, but they've got some work to do to prove that they're right there. Yeah, Ted, you know, uh, thinking about, uh, let's go outside of Canada to a team that I thought would struggle, losing their front end. Not the case, and uh, it just shocked me, and that's uh, Sylvana Terenzoni, of course, uh, with their front end retiring and picking up a, a young front end. Obviously, uh, Savannah and Alina have really got something special going on there. You don't win the way that they've won without it. And um, it's a four-player team. 
There's no doubt about it. And I don't think you can just say that you can just automatically replace a couple of players and be right there. But I think, you know, the heart of that team is still there. The master game caller in Silvana Terenzoni. And I mean, is there, you know, how many better shooters are there than Alina Petz in the women's game? I, I can't think of too many. She's just uh, got all the shots and they've been in everything because of that. And so um, I do, you know, I, I, I'm not overly surprised that they're just, that they're carrying it on here. You know, I expect to see them right there in the mix for more world championships as things go along here. Well, yeah, you know, Kara Holvold, she had played as a fifth player in quite a few things, but, you know, not that much experience compared to the old team with Esther. And then, of course, Briar uh, Herleman Schwaller uh, coming in. I-, I was just shocked with those guys doing so, so well, so quick. Because to your point, yeah, watch out. When you when you do that well at the start, it's just going to get better. And the last uh, last team I really want to ask you about, and that's bringing in on uh, a really young guy in Tyler Tardy for Kevin Cooey. And that's been really fun to watch. Yeah, I talked to Kevin uh, about two weeks ago about it. And, you know, he said certainly there's been growing pains. Like, they're not particularly successful to this point. They've, uh, you know, he, he feels like the the way they've played has actually been a little bit better than how they've shown. But there's been some inconsistency in the bigger games, you know, once they get into those qualifiers or into games to reach the uh, the playoffs and whatnot, they haven't been at their best. And so there's, you know, there's certainly been some, some moments where they've had to learn and catch up. And, uh, and, and obviously it's brand new between Kevin Cooey and Tyler Tardy, and they're doing their very best to make it happen. But, uh, you know, I cannot count Kevin Cooey out ever. Uh, no matter what format, what team he puts out there. And of course, with the new front end there with Brad and, uh, and Carrick, Martin, you know, those guys have been through it all with Brendan Botcher. They're big, strong guys. They're excellent sweepers. They're, they're just a really good front end for Kevin Cooey to pick up. He has said it's a little, a few times it's been a little bit weird playing with them as opposed to against them, but the transition's been really good and they've been very successful. You know, I don't know that they've been very successful yet, but they look like a team that could easily have plenty of success here going forward. And obviously there's going to be a showdown there in the, uh, Alberta, you know, they, they, they've got these opportunities to get to the briar because of the wild card, no matter what. But I think they just need to get that little bit more consistency before they get into the big event, the biggest event of the year, which is the briar, which, you know, you would expect them to be there one way or the other. And then who knows? Because Kevin Cooey just has so much experience in those big games, in those big events. There's going to be a lot of tough competition, but I don't expect them to be going down lightly, that's for sure. Yes, so Ted, thanks for joining us. And uh, I want to go back to the start and talk about the curling event of the year and 2022. And I agree the three-person Briar win was a big one, but I thought maybe the largest thing that happened last year was Nicholas Adeen winning an Olympic gold medal and a world championship gold medal. Also as well, Oscar Erickson being the first curler ever to win two medals in the same Olympics. I think those accomplishments are important because very difficult to achieve, but under the current system that Canada is running, a Canadian team could never do neither. They couldn't win a Briar or a Scotties and an Olympic medal or a mixed doubles because it's not allowed. 
Do you think that should change going forward? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Easy answer. You know, I mean, I saw lots of guys do it at the Olympics this year. I was fortunate enough to be there for post-media covering curling. I, Man, I must have been in that rink for 20 days in a row. And I, you know, I covered every minute of the mixed doubles. I covered every minute of the men's and women's championships. And, you know, Oscar Erickson was not the only one. Amos Mosener, who won the mixed doubles for the on the men's side, was also a part of Joel Retornaz's team on the Italian men's side. So, or mixed doubles side, he won the gold medal, going undefeated. And so it, it's very clear that it's doable. I think it's nearsighted by Curling Canada to not allow perhaps your best team. If, the, if it's the best mixed doubles team because it was, and I'm just throwing out a na- name's For example, if you happen to have Brad Gushu and Jennifer Jones as your mixed doubles team, even though they're the skips of the men's and women's teams, if they are your best mixed doubles team and your best chance to win a gold medal, then that's who should be there representing your country for the gold medal. Now, I do appreciate that probably part of Curling Canada's thinking on this is that they want to spread the wealth a little bit, give the opportunity for more people to become Olympians and get there. But And it was a different year last year, of course, because they selected the mixed doubles team. But if you're trying to get them there through an Olympic trials, whoever wins those Olympic trials, if they can handle it, if if they've made that decision themselves that they think they can handle it, they should have the opportunity to do it. Yep, I agree. The other one I think that we talked about off the top was the three-person briar win for Brad Gushu. I was reading something here a couple of days ago, and maybe it was you talking to Reed Carruthers. It was kind of suggested by him that well, maybe we could uh, go into the provincials with three players and maybe Gushu won the Briar with three. Maybe we can win the provincial and go through the whole thing with three. And I thought, hmm, interesting answer. So where do you think that should go? I'm not totally sure what the rule is today. I know it once was, certainly in my time, that you had to start with four players in any competition. But once you'd throw in even one rock with four players, the, the fourth guy could disappear and you could continue with three. I'm wondering where that's going to go and where it should go. What are your thoughts? Yeah, see, I think that they should have to have a fourth player in there no matter what. You guys are way more in in tune with this game than I am, Kevin and Warren. Is there even an advantage in some ways to playing with three? I mean, it seems like there just might be, you know, as opposed to bringing in a player that's just not right there up to snuff with the rest of the players on your team. So, you know, I'm not sure that it should be allowed myself to just say you're going into the event with three. It's a four-player game. You should have to have a fourth player. You know, I think that uh, this happened in Manitoba before Mike McEwen had chicken pox and his team played on without him. And I I think they made it to the final of the Manitoba uh, Provincials that year with Mike not playing until the very end, right on the weekend. So it's not like it's unheard of, but that wasn't planned, right? And I mean, uh, it wasn't planned for Mark Nichols to get COVID and not be able to play in the Briar last weekend, right? Like, I mean, if you went into it, you'd be saying, well, we, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we're just entering three. That's it. I don't know. And I feel like that might be a little bit unfair. And so um, maybe I can throw that wet back over to Kevin just to, Get an understanding from a competitive standpoint. I'd like to hear what Kevin's got to say, but first of all, remember Nicodine did the same thing this fall, and yeah. he, he won. So uh, what do you think about all this, Kevin? Well, you're right, and that's what I was going to bring up is the Nicodine time when he got his his knee blew up on him uh, in the in the Grand Slam and they went on. So, But to your point, Ted, it's probably better to have four players, but the four have to all be at the same level. 
and you can't just bring in a spare or bring in somebody, you know, ranked 200th in the world uh, and then expect to try to win. So it's probably, well, there's no, no, there's no question that it's better to go with three than to bring on, you know, a weak, a weak wheel. So that, you know, that's the way it has to be. But for Reed Carruthers going forward, you know, he has to look at, you know, if, if Brad Jacobs is for sure going to play uh, out of Northern Ontario and just play the slams, then Reed, he is in a bit of a pickle um, as to who can he possibly bring up the quality of the rest of his team. And that, that's a tough one. Certainly nobody that can, you know, bring the likes of Brad Jacobs, you know, I mean, and, and physically <laughs> nobody that can bring the likes of Jason Gunlickson. That, that person's not going to be available for them in Manitoba. Now, of course, there is the opportunity. Now, had Brad Jacobs not already committed to playing with the Jordan Chandler team, there's a chance because Carruthers, the rest of the members of Carruthers team are all within Manitoba. They could have added uh, Brad Jacobs as a as an import and just carried on and had him play in the Manitoba Provincials. But he has already committed to another team and he intends to do that. So they're in a position where they're going to have to figure something out. At the moment, they certainly are considering playing with three. He did say if they ever were able to get through to the briar, they would not try to play that with three because the entire event with three would be pretty difficult. It'll be interesting to see what kind of rulings come into play here, uh, you know, from the provincial bodies, the curling Canada, et cetera, because you can't help but notice, as you guys said, we've seen Nick, Nick Dean do so well. Uh, I mentioned that McEwen thing where they made it to the final, and obviously Brad Gushu wins the Briar with three. Maybe there's something there, right, where teams are saying, we can do this, and 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 it's better for us to have three than obviously to bring in somebody who's not up to snuff. So, you know, and it'll be interesting to see if that gets looked at or if there's some real rulings that they can look to to say, no, nah, we're not going to let this happen. Ted Wyman has been our guest. Uh, Ted, you did really well today. Okay, you did very, very well. Okay, you're going to get a star. Ted, before before you go, um, I think it was probably Darren Molding that started this, this big thing on the Botcher team uh, when all these teams started to break up. And since then... You yourself and everyone has said, what the freak is going on? Is this the biggest year where you've seen these massive mix-ups with these teams? Yeah, absolutely. And I've asked pretty much everybody in the game uh, about that, if they've ever seen anything like that before. And nobody's seen that real explosion of it. I don't think, I mean, Kevin, maybe there was something back there in the early 2000s, but um, you know, this has been something completely different where you've got the top teams all saying, there's something different. Even Brad Gushu's team is slightly different. Now, that was not anybody's real choice. Their Brett Gallant was moving to Alberta. You know, he got married, all that kind of stuff. But they bring in a guy like E.J. Harnden, who's already a gold medalist in the Olympics. I mean, you, that works, right? But there's been so many other ones. And one team that we haven't talked about yet that I've been really impressed with so far is the Matt Dunstone team out of Manitoba. And, I mean, interesting to see Matt playing out of Manitoba again. Uh, after playing out of Saskatchewan for a few years. That's a guy who I think all of us know is on the cusp of doing something great in the game of curling. And right now it looks like he's got the perfect group with him. Uh, you know, I think uh, BJ Newfeld's an underrated third. He's been great for many years, as we saw with Mike McEwen and obviously with Kevin Cooey. They win a, a world silver medal. And and I think one, you know, uh, Ryan Harnden's an Olympic gold medalist as well. And then you've got Colton Lott, who we've all looked at and said, this is a guy who is one of the, he's a great big up and coming curler, but for some reason he wasn't really aligned with a four player team. And now he is. 
and he's obviously a great player and that group looks really good. So that, you know, I just wanted to throw a shout out to that team because that's one of the many that blew up and reformed. And that one has been a real success story so far. So, you know, as to your original question, no, I haven't seen it like this before. I think it's very interesting. As a media guy, I loved it because, as I said, everybody loves to hear about those things. And um, uh, and and really, it's one of the great things about curling is that it's not just a game on the ice. There's that backstory. There's the and I, and I think because fans actually get to hear what the curlers have to say and how they interact uh, while they're watching games on TV, they feel like they have a little bit more of a of a knowledge or a, a kinship with those players. And so there's real feelings, you know, like I'll, my comment section when I write about these things is incredible because there's real feelings from fans about how these two aren't getting along or how, you know, how something needs to change and how will these personalities get along. And so the discussions, honestly, guys, like the discussions on my Jake, Jacob's Carruthers story are really interesting and mixed between people saying, well, this is fantastic, can't wait to see it, and others saying, well, that's never going to work because those personalities are never going to mix. If, if Jason and Reed, if Jason Gunlickson and Reed couldn't mix together and they're really good friends, how are these guys, you know, that fiery personality of Jacob's going to mix together? So I love that part of it, and it makes it all very interesting. And uh, so, hey, I'm a, I'm a fan of the end of quadrennials because <laughs> it makes for some great curling writing. Uh, Ted, you're a journalist. Before you go, uh, you know, I used to watch those briars when Warren was involved and there there was 15 and 16,000 people at all those draws. Uh, you know, the arenas were packed. It was it was just a, a real energy around it. When I watch some of those draws now, and when I recall over the last briar tour, Scotty's, I see what used to be 50 media guys. I see about 10 or 15. What what's ha- What's going on, Ted? Give us an idea of the coverage of curling. As I said, you've been around it a long time, but but there seems to be less and less guys. And I understand social media came along, but what what's happening there, uh, Ted, with the coverage of curling? Well, I wish I could give you a better answer on this one. Um, you know, part of it was that media couldn't travel during uh, the COVID years. They weren't allowed to be in the building for the uh, bubble games. They were in Calgary, and uh, and it was done over Zoom, and it worked pretty well. And I think some companies just have decided that, you know, maybe that's maybe being there on site isn't as important as, uh, you know, as 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 you once thought. I personally think it's incredibly important to be on site because there are four games at a time going on. You need to be able to be in that building and covering the games that aren't necessarily on TV. And it's all about talking to the various personalities. When you're doing it over Zoom or you're just doing it over the phone, you're tending to get the same people all the time. You're tending to just get the skips. You're not talking to leads. You're not talking to coaches. You're not talking to, you know, seconds who are making great shots. And so I really do think it's important to be there. But I do know, certainly at the last big event that I was at, was the Olympics, that was crowded. Everybody comes out to cover the Olympics. You know, you get people from all over the place. I'll be sitting in my regular spot and someone from USA Today will sit down on one side, and, you know, somebody from the Washington Post on the other side. And it's kind of cool because, but they just take an interest in it for a few days, you know, during the Olympics. The last big Canadian event I was at was the Olympic trials last year. And honestly, that uh, there was maybe three or four 
national media that kind of were in the front row and then everybody else, there was just some locals and then a lot of people who worked for Curling Canada. Right. And so it really, really has changed in that area. You know, I'm glad that my company wants to keep covering curling and it's important. We make sure we have a column every week and we try to cover the big events as best we can. And I'm happy that we do that because I, I get the sense from the curlers that they appreciate that, that it's important to have that kind of national voice. And the entire landscape is changing, Jim. There's just no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it's something that's very important to be covered. And I certainly hope that it continues to be something that's really important because as I can tell you, people really like to read about this stuff. It's a, it's very well read on our websites. Cool. Ted Wyman, uh, what curling is lucky to have is you. Oh, thank All right. you very yeah. much. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Ted, you got to call him every week with uh, Post Media. G- give us a handle, Ted, how they, how they can read your stuff. My column is called On the Rock, so you can see it anywhere on uh, any of the Winnipeg Sun, Toronto Sun, Edmonton, Calgary, Ottawa, all the way across on those, and also in all the post media broadsheets uh, in pretty much every big city in this country. So it, it appears in paper, it appears online, there's videos, there's uh, all kinds of little additions. And I'm going to be starting a curling newsletter by the same name soon, which will just go directly to people's inboxes. So that'll be a nice addition, hopefully, for the curling fans in this country. Right on, Ted. Thanks a lot. What a great uh, wrap-up for the year. We really appreciate you coming on. Happy New Year. See you, Ted. Happy New Year to you guys as well, and thanks so much for having me. Thanks a lot, Ted. Thanks, Ted.